0: This is Coda Radio, episode 347 for March 4th, 2019. Hello and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show Let's taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and don't you forget those related technologies. My name is Wes and I'm joined once again by that funky Floridian, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello Mike. I've got gators in my garage. I mean that seems like good motivation to stay inside and get your work done. Damn Skippy, I've
1: written more Ruby code in one week than I think you have in uh your entire life cuz you know, you're I, I've been too more smart Ruby. for
0: that. I've been writing actually, a decent amount of Ruby these past couple of years. It's not it's, I really thought I had you this time. I I know. I mean, it may not have been my first love, and it may still not be really my love, but I will say it's very practical. So, this
1: is not even a topic for today Wes, but in what context are you writing Ruby?
0: Well, uh, some of the show stuff, some of the um, automation system ends up being written in Ruby just because the the uh, larger system J-Bot. was already Ruby. Oh, yeah, JBot already. Yeah. But no, some of the new stuff yeah. we've been working on, um, like the system that will post this show once it's done. I, I stand corrected. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I also was, I, for a while, I did a lot of Ruby because I was working with Chef. Um, so that kind of. Okay. I, I, I'd sense. done it before, but yeah. it was more of a Pythonista myself. Uh, so that just kind of got me familiar enough with Ruby where now I can hack it when I have to. I don't. I don't know. There's lots I don't like. I mean, Gem, come on. There's there's so much tooling that is kind of unfortunate. The number of times I've compiled Nokogiri without ever needing to use it whatsoever. I mean, I actually have used it recently, but most so of the time use you don't Rails actually. Rails is what you're telling I have used right. Rails, yes. <laughs>
1: right. So. Uh, if you don't mind, we don't even have it on the dock today. But I mean, I think
0: we're talking about it now, buddy.
1: So yeah, I think we are. We're, we're committed now. So if you had to name like your top three things you dislike about Ruby, and and that can extend to Rails if you want, uh, huh. what are they? Oh, okay. Th- that's
0: a great question. You know, it's just a little. It's a little loose. It just doesn't feel very. I know that's a great thing about it, right? It's so message passage-y. It's almost. It's like a. It's like a weird small talk. Lisp. I don't know what else other languages you want to throw in there, but it, it's got a very objective unique C. and strange objective pedigree that C. I yeah. like a lot. Yeah, objective C. Yeah, that totally fits. I like a lot of the pedigree, but the way it came together, I don't love the like the do blocks. The syntax really just rubs me the wrong way, which is totally, totally meaningless consideration, which is, again, why I end up using it. Right. Like that doesn't affect it. It just doesn't feel. Something about it doesn't strike me as pretty. Okay, I know so, everyone so loves like... Ruby for that reason, and I just don't get it.
1: Oh, no, I don't think everyone loves Ruby. I've been to enough meetups where I can tell you for a fact not everyone loves Ruby. All right, so you would call that the loose nature of the message-passing system, even though it's not really message-passing. Right, no. But um, I, I get the syntax. Okay, so that's one.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and then just, like, yeah, the, the I think for a long time there was somewhat culture, which the, the community's gotten a lot better, but overuse of mixins, just all the, the Rails magic that got started.
1: I, I will give you mixins. Give me three. Give me number
0: three. <laughs> number three. I don't like the deployment story very much. Um, oh, like, Python has a number of tools that make it pretty easy, if you have to, to go publish something that runs. Like, Twitter has checks. There's there's a ton of them now. And I'm, I know there are some things like that for Ruby, but anything that like, has a bunch of dependencies and then I want to go run on another system, I, I know how to make it work, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel very clean compared to so, being able to like make a jar or a, a static binary.
1: So... It's so funny you say deployment. I spent most of my morning fixing a broken Ruby deployment from right? a, uh, from someone who no longer uh, uh, works with me. And yeah, it's, you know what? I'm gonna go on and say one of my crazy broad things that people are gonna get mad about. If you're doing, and this is Rails, the context I'm talking about is uh, Ruby on Rails. Right, right. Just use Docker and Doku. Everything else is like its own little beautiful princess that has to be taken care of. And if like you're missing a key or something weird from, you know, the guy or gal that did it, you know, three years ago, then you're hosed for hours. It's uh, I, I will give you the deployment story, particularly then if you if I don't know how much you want to dive into this. So stop me when you want to. But the issue we had what is it we're running on aws linux so amazon's uh, particular flavor of linux i'm yep. sure you're familiar with this What's right and for whatever reason uh, aws linux defaults when you do um there's like an auto you know there's like a preset ruby on rails uh,
0: yeah they've got it all ready to go packaged it up for you so you don't right, have to except worry about it
1: if you're if you're using rails 5 which is the current stable version they call bundler 2.0 Really? Instead of Bundler one point, I think it's like 93 mm-hmm. So our entire application just like broke.
0: Oh my gosh, that is the other thing. Yeah, especially when you combine Bundler in the mix, and there's so much yeah, magic Bundler's rewriting happen. Yeah. Like the, the functionality it provides is, is good, and there's like a whole you know complicated world of the different ways. In particular, languages like Ruby and Python take care of those tasks. But boy, some tiny weird Ruby path issue, and anytime you end up debugging that, you just kind of want to scrap the whole thing.
1: Oh, so it, it it the error I got was kind of insane, right? Because it it just said Bundler doesn't is not a you know the binary not found gem system e o n t right. We don't need to. Oh yes, the, yeah, the strange Ruby error. But then you go like you know gem list and Bundlers right there. It took me a couple minutes to say does Bundler two point x have breaking changes from Bundler one point x right right.
0: And sure I would enough, imagine so, yeah.
1: Oh, it does indeed. Google the issue with the uh, with the tag on Stack Overflow AWS Linux, and it's a huge problem. Uh, people were sharing. I had to write, and I think this is really stupid, but maybe, it, it w- wasn't a lot of work, but I just think it's dumb. I had to write a, um, they call them a, because really we're using the code deploy thing, which is actually a product. Oh, they yes. used. Right, they used to call it Elastic Beanstalk. But Amazon rebrands everything every five seconds. So I had to write in you know, elastic beanstalk, they call them extensions,
0: which oh, basically that, that's a dark road. Yeah, well, but they're basically
1: like Docker proc files or Docker pre-run scripts, right? Except they have their own weird proprietary format. And it's it's just this annoying thing where you're maybe writing twenty or thirty lines of code, but because it's specific to amazon you have to like or at least i do because i i tend to prefer DigitalOcean, and you know generic ubuntu because you know i like things that are standard i'm sitting there split screen the amazon docs to the left for the old elastic beanstalk system and my uh in this case it was a ruby mine in uh in dev mode they have a you know one screen code mode on the right and son of a bitch, I mean, it is it is not what you want to be doing at 7.30 in the morning.
0: Oh no, that's that sounds so unfortunate. But I now know
1: how to do it forever. So the issue, by the way, if somebody has this problem, the issue is from now on, from whatever date going forward, the Amazon Ruby on Rails uh, install is defaulting to bundler 2.0 if you don't explicitly specify in an elastic beanstalk extension that you want the 1.x series the problem is the rails generator still assume, assume that you're going to do like 1.9.3 i think is the current
0: See, so just, that's just it's a, just all that stuff yeah. like i think you're right using docker does help it feels like it gives uh, a, a bit more reproducibility well, docker, I just
1: <laughs> insist on what i want it to install
0: right, <laughs> right yeah Talk you about, get to choose right. the whole thing and, and kind of have a different interface to it yeah Do you have any tips or tricks that uh, you like for deploying? Do you ever deploy just sort of like command line scripts or utility written in Ruby?
1: Uh, All the time. That's usually a little less painful because you're almost never... I mean, you can still use Ruby gems, but in that case, do you just I really go for don't. like
0: system installed gems? What if you just like you know you wanted um, like it's so handy in some other languages mm-hmm. like Go, for instance, really does this well, right? Where you can just go, especially if you have a GitHub release, you can just go have a, a generic Linux binary up there that people can download, put in you know home dir slash bin chmodded, modded, and, and away they go.
1: Yeah. Uh, so on the binary side, I tend not to use Ruby. I tend to use uh, either C or actually it's almost always c plus unless it's java for whatever reason uh but the way i solve the system install gem problem on ruby for kind of like just like scripting is i use a, a ruby environment r b e n v mm. oh yeah totally and i just have like an environment per what i'm doing
0: so each project just gets its own little environment it's its own little magical snowflake there. yeah right yeah uh sim- similar in many ways to the uh, virtual env of python fame exactly yeah, it's just such a contrast with the binary thing because it's so easy. The, the great part about Ruby, right, is like you can sit down, install a few things, pull up a, a Ruby REPL, and you can do whatever you want. And there, there is a gem for basically whatever you could possibly need. Every API exists in there. So it, on one hand, it feels very powerful. There's a lot of leverage. It's easy and fun and generally pretty nice to use. And on the other hand, it feels like a, a once you get serious, you're like, oh, man, okay, my project works. Now i got to go run it in the wider world. It's a huge letdown.
1: Well, and, and the other answer to that problem, too, would be Docker, though, right? If you just have a prefab container, that can be Docker pooled, even if you're using a private repo for that instead of Docker Hub. That's
0: a good point. Or some other stuff, yeah. right? Like um, like, like a snap package, for instance, would be just a, fine. A
1: package would work. Yeah, snap package would work. Yeah.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, we're getting into uh, the sides of deploying stuff. And that might just be one thing you think about when you're talking serverless. I saw, and it sounds like you also saw some good feedback over in the Coder Radio subreddit. So, also, just a pro tip: we've got a subreddit. Yeah, that's right, r slash Coder Radio. You really, you just can't miss it. Thankfully, uh, user and listener Tom Enum pointed out that one thing we didn't quite get to on our discussion of Serverless last episode was that it scales to zero. Which yeah, I got to say, fair. Yeah, it is yeah. totally fair. Um, that's a great use case, and we just didn't manage to talk about it, but it's it's certainly true, right? If you have some stuff that is just really periodic, you don't need it, it can be simpler and maybe cleaner in some ways, too, right? Rather than just be like, yeah, I put it on this other box, and it runs as a cr- cron job. It kind of feels dirty.
1: Yeah, and it can be more cost-effective, right? If you only have, like, a big import that you do once a month, just throwing it on Lambda or um, or Azure Functions, I mean, we did that with Alice uh, with some PDF scanning and emails. That was uh, we just had a bunch of Azure functions that did that. And why? Because there was almost no customer. I think we only ever had one who actually had enough PDFs that were big enough that we wanted to offload it.
0: Mm, yeah. Okay.
1: And that was a Node application. So.
0: Right, and and I guess I suppose perhaps why we didn't quite get there is because we were talking at the time the, the question that prompted that was going full serverless and so right, full it serverless. could be yeah it could be very different if you're considering full versus like as an addendum an additional thing that just is a, a you know a periodic job runner or event responder super useful
1: i agree we have to disagree on something wes i mean this is getting very boring come on let me ask you a question wes how do you feel about germany and linux together
0: Oh, Germany and Linux together. Well, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Germany, so no problem there. And you might have guessed, I'm big I'm a big fan of Linux, but together, like uh, it's kind Windows of a ME guy. Well, actually, I've spent a long time on Windows, Emmy. Let me tell you about oh that, but actually I can't because I've purposely blocked out those memories. So, uh, elephant in the room, we're obviously talking About OpenSUSE. And it sounds like you've actually been doing some OpenSUSE things, which I found a little bit strange. I've got nothing against it. It's just it's not an ecosystem I play in very often. And it kind of strikes me, and I'm curious about your thoughts about this, but there's a lot of very interesting tooling and tooling choices and tools available, techniques, powerful, you know, file systems and the way it's been configured. But it seems like you kind of gotta know enough to put it together in a way that you might not have to if you're deploying on Ubuntu.
1: Yeah, that's super true. Um, so I have been working with a new client um, who is an OpenSUSE shop. Now, I, I just we should just set this up. For context, we're talking server-side OpenSUSE for the context of what we're going to discuss here.
0: Right. So we're running OpenSUSE on servers. That's the the, the operating system you've chosen right. to run your software on top of.
1: Right. And or actually, they're, they've they're, chosen. they're running... And they're running SUSE proper, SUSE Enterprise. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. But I'm devving to Open SUSE, um, and I'm I'm using the Thaleo, or Thaleo, as I was corrected by Emma, uh, to do the actual work. So I have, I'm, and I'm sure you do too, Wes. Uh, like a collection of my own Bash scripts and like Docker scripts and all this kind of stuff that I use on Ubuntu.
0: Yeah, the things that if we were, um, you know, if we worked in a physical trait, that, those would be on our tool boot, tool tool chest, you know. Right. The,
1: these are things that I use. All, anytime I have a new project, there's like a couple shell scripts that I run on a server. Right. Well, none of them work on OpenSUSE. <laughs> like, yeah. Gosh, that is that is very different. So I did not notice how much of a dependency I had on apt.
0: Yeah, you kind of just trust that you, you would rolled. be in a in a Debian yeah. ecosystem.
1: Yeah, in Debian environment. So, I I do I did what I do with any new engagement, and I say you know what aws is powerful i personally have some concerns about how proprietary amazon has made their version of linux particularly with the tooling side that it's like not that easy to get off unless you're just using docker
0: that's a big one right especially i see it a lot in the ml space too they're like yeah we've compiled all the hard hard and annoying ml libraries so just use our linux
1: yeah, but yeah, and that, that's the topic for a whole other show, right? But let's.
0: Yes, it is. Stay focused here. Open suits. So, I'm sorry.
1: So, so i tend I tend to recommend uh, Do to people, the former sponsor of the show when we, uh, when we before our Linux overlords bought us. Uh, and I was f- frankly surprised when I went into my Do dashboard, looked at the hundred hundreds of droplets that I apparently have that I don't pay attention to, but pay for every month.
0: Yeah, don't think about that. None of us are yeah, don't we're think not willing it. to can fight that fight today.
1: And I went to create a new one. You know, and you've used the O, right? It's got the nice little down. you got all the logos for the distros.
0: Yeah, it's nice, and they have a decent distro selection.
1: Well, I ended up doing a control find for... For open suits, because for the life of me, I couldn't find it.
0: Yeah. Like, okay. Is there another, is there another page? Is page two? How, where it, is it? something?
1: So off to the forums I go, and sure enough, as soon as I uh, duck, duck, go search it, because I've become a hippie, I find that this is like the number one user voice complaint from the Do community is that there's no open suits. So I ask around, I, I, I make kind of a, a cheeky tweet saying, you know, Germans, or I forgot what the other one was, but I said, basically, German people who love Linux, help me, how do I get OpenSUSE on DO? And a maintainer of the OpenSUSE project replied and said, it's possible, but if you could write a write-up, we'd appreciate it. Okay. And so you did just that. Maybe. So I did what, that. What a guy, Mike, Jeez. So, and you know what, it's really not that hard. In fact, uh, I think, again, Wes can tell you because I know we all love Wes. uh, I'm telling you that Dio is not a sponsor of the show anymore But Dio makes it very easy to upload custom uh, Linux or BSD images of what you want So in my case what I want is an open box with some rails uh, Let's just say toolchain right rails toolchain configured So for the write-up, I skipped the rails toolchain. I just did the box but sure enough it, it, it's about a 20, 30 minute process. A lot, a lot of that's downloading an ISO and like uploading the ISO. <laughs> yeah, you
0: right. Know. You got to be the middleman. You got to
1: be the middleman. And there's like a whatever process DO does on the back end to process it is, in my experience, not very quick. But right. I would say
0: within. Get it integrated, ready to Ren yeah. on, in one of their data centers, all
1: that. And, th- and then you have to set up a droplet, right? Then you got to set up like, you know, the IP, the DNS, all that good stuff. But I'd say within a half hour, I was up and running on OpenSUSE. And then I was learning all about Zipper and Yast, which apparently Yast is the GUI front-end to Zipper. So we can talk about that if you want, but...
0: Uh, I would love to. Yeah, I mean, had you had you used this operating system before? If so you're familiar with any of the tools?
1: Way, way back in like 2007 when I originally used Linux before I went to Mac. So yeah, fun fact, if you're a new listener, I used to use Linux before I used Mac. Then I went to Mac for a long time. Then I, now I'm back on both. I did play around with OpenSuse. I liked it because I felt it was more put together. Because you got to remember, at the time we were talking like Ubuntu eight ten, and there were some serious issues. Oh yeah, okay. Well, those those were different days. Yeah, th- it was a different time. I so I went and I actually also used Fedora at the time, which I know is Fedora is completely different now because KDE is completely different. But on the server, no. I mean, I've been using. I went on the server. When I was primarily an iOS dev, I just used Ubuntu 16.04 or 14, whatever it was, 15.04, actually, LTS. And and a little bit of RHEL, right? Because I have customers who love RHEL.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's hard to avoid. Uh,
1: but OpenSUSE, like, I have to be honest with you, I, I sincerely believed it was just for Germans.
0: Hey, is this even allowed? I'm, are there some sort of customs right. check that's going to happen here? Do I have to, like, go surrender to Homeland Security now or something? Like... I assume there was like a delicious bratwurst that you ate while you were getting the ISO all rigged up and ready? It's weird. As soon as, as soon
1: as the ISO downloaded, a gentleman in Lederhosen brought me like a, like a nice, like substantial beer, like you know, and a couple pretzels. It was weird.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, are you using, are you deploying, using your trick from the start of the show and deploying containers here? Or are you actually having to get nitty gritty and build your software and really run on Zeus?
1: So that is an open question. Um, for the purposes of Dev, I'm just doing Docker containers, yeah, right? Sure. Because it's it, you deploy like five times a day, and it's just not worth it to like have to worry about this problem. I I will say that OpenSUSE is very very different. Like it, like yeah yes I keep saying yes I really mean Zipper right Zipper is well it functionally does what Aptitude gets and West you can correct me because you're the stronger Linux person here. I find it very foreign to work in.
0: I mean, there's, so there's always going to be some mental overhead, right, when you switch things. And most people have at least done, you know, played a little bit in Debian and then maybe gone over to Fedora and used Yum and, and DNF. Somehow that doesn't feel as different. I agree, like, Zipper is its own tool, and they, they almost think about things in a slightly different fashion over in Seuss Land. But it's not, I mean, it's not bad. I, it, it's strange that it's it feels a little bit more segmented like they have their own the, the walls to their community not that they aren't welcoming but just it's it's more often its own world than the other larger linux ecosystems I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it yeah, means and, well, it means that I they think, just have more differentiation i guess well
1: more differentiation and i think it's a case that they just have uh i can't even, i can't even i'm trying to think of how to say this correctly they are one of the, if you're using SUSE proper, one of the certified Linux distros, right? So this is like RHEL for people who don't want to use RHEL, I guess. Or, you know what, to be honest with you, I, and I can't speak for other people, but my, my understanding is that the people using SUSE are using it because a business decision was made, you know, n years ago.
0: Right, I mean, yeah, you, and, usually those are yeah long-term major decisions. And
1: frankly, once you've built up the knowledge to actually operate in a SUSE environment... Why not? Right? Like, like I'm coming from the opposite side. I'm used to Debian, but if I had been working in SUSE forever, I would probably continue to prefer SUSE,
0: right? Sure. So you really you haven't yeah. found any reasons not to that that shouldn't be a viable no, I mean, platform. It,
1: it, yeah, I mean, it, so so once I uploaded the ISO to DO and got that all set up, like that's a little more work, but. You know,
0: mostly a, yeah, mostly a fixed cost, right? Like you get it all set up at it, first and integrate with the provider. So
1: I uploaded the Rails one for my customer, and then I just uploaded to my personal account a uh, generic SUSE of the uh, current, whatever the long support one version for them is. Only because if somebody in the future asked me for SUSE, well, now I have an image that's ready to go.
0: Oh, excellent. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. Now it's yeah, just going to be sitting there. the Dio
1: is not going to delete the images off my account, right. so
0: smart thinking there Mr. Dominic I try huh. well this is this is fascinating I'm gonna be curious to see how this evolves as you as you keep playing with it might we someday see you running Seuss on the desktop
1: no I love me some Papa West I know I was, it, I was looking at your article yeah. here
0: in the uh, Papa West screenshots they I, I mean they do pop
1: yeah they pop I love pop and I love elementary so I I in fact if I if I could I, I might switch the Thaleo to elementary but I can't right now um because it's a uh, customer bought it so um uh, but pop is yeah go ahead
0: What i was gonna say is uh, well what stands out to me is that you must like pop os so much that even though there's like a, a new mac in your life you've relegated mm-hmm. that to an appliance role and kept pop for your little desktop huh yeah, so I'm,
1: I'm running POP as my desktop because um, I also have the Darter Pro, which I'm going to finally finish the review of this week. I wanted to take it into the field for a while, uh, which is, if you don't know, a System76 laptop, again, defaulting to POP, right? Yes. I I need a good Mac build machine, though, Wes, for iOS dev.
0: Right. I mean, you can't, you can't really get away from that, right, unless you want to pay someone else to host one for you.
1: Which I was doing and was back. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
1: So, what I did was, I, I took all of my, my valley of, uh, let's just call them mistreated Macs and I sold them to be re- repaired and resold.
0: Good. Oh, man. They will find better homes.
1: They will find better, more stable homes.
0: Drier too. Dryer. Yes.
1: And I purchased a Mac mini that will go on the router and be a podcast machine to avoid any, any, uh, Fan noise issues. So that is the plan.
0: Oh, okay. Wait, wait. So you said you said we'll go on the router. What did you mean by that? Sure.
1: So automated iOS builds, right? Um, Right now, I'm renting uh, Mac build services from Microsoft's. I want to get this right. App Dev Center, I think they call it.
0: Wait, what?
1: Can you break this down for me? Okay. So, in theory. Well, in, so. Right, let's let's slow down. Right, like one of you can automate any build you want. Like in GitLab, I can automate Rails builds and like run my tests and you know get that feedback in Slack. Really? Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. actually what I do for Rails. Right.
0: Yeah, totally. You get yeah you get you go get trigger a build, go find out what happens, either successful or or, or whatever, yeah. and then get some fast feedback.
1: Yeah, and Bitbucket can do the same thing. Uh, they call it pipelines on the Bitbucket side. So a problem I've always had is that no one can do this for iOS. At least none of the big source control vendors like GitHub, uh, Bitbucket, or GitLab
0: because, well, you have to do code signing. You you, have to do code signing, right? That is just not something I always think about because most of the platforms that I end up writing for, well, I don't have to do that.
1: Right, which means you need a physical Mac or a VM of a Mac, but it has to be on Mac hardware.
0: It has to be on Mac hardware, really. Yeah. Oh boy, they're
1: so in um, the, insidious. In, in the it, it's kinda crazy. In the meantime, I've been using Microsoft Azure's, uh, they call it the App Dev Center. Which was great, but you know, Azure credits aren't necessarily something I have a lot of. And it's just a little pricey given how quickly we like to iterate.
0: I see. Yeah. So it's just not the model doesn't work out for the way that you want to develop
1: right so a mac mini can serve multiple purposes it can be an ios dev machine it can go on the router and effectively be a one-time cost forever free build machine and it can be a podcast machine since we obviously want to mitigate uh you know we want the highest sound quality we can get
0: ain't that the truth
1: now the challenge is there's multiple ways to do this there's obviously jenkins there's Apple used to have something called robots, which I was asking about in the chat before, which is part of Xcode. And, and frankly, there's a ton of other automated build systems. I mean,
0: yeah, how many of those work well when you're targeting iOS? I mean, are there particular things well, there that you need to tie ones in
1: ones too? There are specific uh, either open source or proprietary CI systems for
0: iOS. So have you decided which one you're going to deploy? You're still you're still weighing that. I,
1: I am going to try to stick to the Xcode solution as much as possible. My second choice would be something like Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, you know so do you, does this it is an, work
0: the same way? I mean, so do you just go point this at some some Git repository that it pulls, or do, are you pushing notifications into it and it has the source already?
1: It can be either way. You can you can push it in, or it can pull off a Git repo.
0: Nice. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So it, it's, it's definitely, and, and, the, and the problem I'm solving is two, one, I want automated builds of iOS stuff, and two, I want to make sure, and, th- and this has been a problem given the number of Macs I've gone through and how kind of finicky code signing is, yeah. I want one machine that can do all of my code signing and not have that horrible thing where you upload a build, and then like, you go away and 10 minutes later you get it rejected because some certificate's out of date or...
0: Mm, kind of reduce variability that that you might have. You you always know it's going to break fast. You're going to find out quickly because there's all going through that machine.
1: Exactly. I want to mitigate the risk of the Apple-specific issues.
0: Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. For such a successful ecosystem, the number of things that you have to do just to make it all work in a sane way that are just a little bit easier at every step in other ecosystems, it's kind of strange. As an outsider, it boggles my mind a bit. Not that there yeah, aren't the reasons whole, for them, like I can understand how like, how it got here, it's just different.
1: It's. I still think they're going to have to do something about it, but it's, it's becoming too much of a hassle to constantly have to revoke and regenerate certificates, and then worry about does someone have the right provisioning profile on their machine, and have to send the awkward email, here's your build, you know, here's your invoice. And then the guy comes back and says, oh, well, it doesn't open on my phone because I got this weird error. So I have to say, okay, go back, delete the provisioning profile. It's just a bad experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. What's it? It's funny to think of, um, like you've got this little little Mac mini. It's almost like a little server. Is it going to be headless? Are you going to have a monitor attached to it and it's going to be on a desk somewhere? So it's
1: probably going to be on the desk here because I'm probably going to use it for podcasting too.
0: Mm, right right yeah okay you will sound pretty good i guess i guess I i'm so. okay with that
1: right since we had a little uh rigmarole about background noise before the show
0: <laughs> yeah the whole yeah. start of the show is me just haranguing you to to fix your sound and you saying yeah so okay will you also move any of your other ci or is this going to be just solely for no, the
1: iOS stuff. this is going to be solely iOS.
0: Yeah, right. I guess it really wouldn't make that much sense. You, the cloud infrastructure is already available or whatever else that you are using, and you'd be running it on a different platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything else we do deploys to basically Ubuntu with like the one exception of the OpenSUSE, and there's like one Rel thing. So I'm pretty happy with, with uh, we're doing a GitLab CE instance for all of that, and I'm pretty happy with that. It supports Rails really well. It supports Python. It supports Node. It basically supports everything that we do.
0: What do you Other mean by than, what do you mean by really well?
1: So y- you merge into a branch or you push, depending on how we have the project set up, and it intelligently runs this, the the tests and it does a bunch of stuff to just basically,
0: mm, just like plenty of built-in understanding.
1: Yeah, built-in understanding that you don't have to configure.
0: Love it. Uh, that does. Uh, does fit with the whole rails ecosystem too so yeah, that makes point magic sense. Uh, I'm, I'm, i can't rails is useful to, i'm not trying to bash rails okay
1: hey would you like my magic gems
0: maybe i mean yeah how do, how do they what, what's the catch here there's gotta be a catch
1: the catch is you don't know what's in them
0: <laughs> that's that's the catch
1: uh i love it it's well, the same thing with pip let's not even go there
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, yeah. It is the same thing with Pip. I, why why is packaging so painful all of the time? It just is. Yeah. I mean, so like you're just talking about Node, one of the one of the both more vigorous and alive and just filled to the brim with stuff packaging worlds and one of the most problematic of late and seemingly all the time is obviously JavaScript, right?
1: NPM makes me cry.
0: NPM makes me cry. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of people cry. Probably also the people who have to uh, have to deal with it. But it did, I mean, it did kind of solve an interesting problem. It's funny to think about JavaScript as it, you know, it was such a neglected language for so long and then yes. suddenly revitalized. So I can see that you might make some mistakes. And now, of course, it's gotten even more complicated because suddenly, suddenly, like, we, we have different types of packages, common JS, and then, like, the native native packages that now exist. And there's been so many workarounds and different ways to do things. It's pretty confusing in 2019 how it all can work together and support the maximal set of possible client configurations. And I'm sure that must be something that you have to run into, right? Like, part of those CI systems probably involves some sort of transpilers, Build things, Packers, Webpack, maybe Babel. What do you got? What's your? What's all happening in those those d- dirty JavaScript configurations of yours, Mister Dominic?
1: So honestly, all of the above, and I haven't even picked one. <laughs> it, it it it's a shit show. I mean, the JavaScript ecosystem for all of the um, progress ECMAScript has made, it just.
0: Oh, we're going full terrible. names here. Listen to that. Yeah, we're going full names. That's how you know you're in trouble, JavaScript. buddy.
1: ECMAScript. That's a, see, ECMAScript is a good language till you pull in some dependencies. Then it's JavaScript, and it sucks. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's why uh, I think you found for us this week, right? Pika, com, which basically only allows you to find packages that adhere to the newest standards.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, I have, okay, full disclosure, I have not tried it, but I saw it floating around various people talking about it. Pika's mission is to make modern JavaScript more accessible by making it easier to find, publish, install, and use modern packages on NPM. Yeah, so says so you're saying, Mike, firstly, you can go to pikapackage.com and then they've got a search bar there that will just help you find fast, modern, native packages that match your keywords. Basically, they've already, you know, they've built up this repository and, and found all the ones that are already being built in a modern way that makes it easy for you to consume them in a modern way. But... They've also got a whole bunch of tooling to support this so that, yeah. try to in, in theory, try to simplify what you're doing and enable you to support native modules and all the latest JavaScript stuff. I don't know what I think, because and, the, obviously the, the first question, besides the cute branding, which is kind of cute, yet another tool? Isn't that always something we have to be a little bit skeptical yeah. of?
1: I mean, in your opening to this, you mentioned Webpack, Babel, and I think, like, Two other things, right? The JavaScript ecosystem, particularly like the, anything run by Node, it's just a lot of magic. I mean, we were talking about Rails before. There's so much more magic here. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't like it when I do a large amount of JavaScript and then I pull in some old package and I have to like accommodate all the old terribleness.
0: Yeah. So this does seem like it, in theory, can try to help Help do that, so they've got a bunch of. Well, it wouldn't allow plugin. you to pull
1: in that package, right? So that package would not surface on Pika, is my understanding.
0: Yeah, but it does look like they've got they've got a whole bunch of plugins and various interfaces to help you to help you can package to support those things. But it looks like you could also maybe help import some other other packages and modernize them. But they've got a whole bunch of stuff. They even support interestingly. They even support BuckleScript and uh, Reason ML. They've got a TypeScript thing, of course. Is interesting.
1: So let me take this on a curveball for you, Wes. You're you're you like Closure Script, right? You're kind of more of a functional, mathy kind of programmer than I am. Indeed. How does this not all just seem like an abomination to you in, in the JavaScript world?
0: I mean, parts of it does. I am um, part of the nice. I mean, I, Closure Script obviously exists because of the fact that transpiling is so well supported it would be hard probably it'd be hard sure. to exist as like a as the only language that that worked that way probably uh, just in terms of development tooling like chrome ships stuff so that if you uh show if you have source maps for closure script it shows up and and gets syntax highlighting all that right in chrome right so that's that's really nice uh, the it's uh, javascript ecmascript you're right it's getting a lot better it's come a long way i the part that feels like a mess. Like, I think it's honestly really reasonable. And if you can find the right documentation, learn just the modern stuff, it's, it's actually pretty reasonable, right? It feels like a, almost a sane language. But having right. watched it happen, I don't know if it's ever going to really... It, I think practically it's gonna, it'll be fine for as long as it hangs around, which is going to be just forever. Um, forever, right. But I don't think it'll ever escape the, the cruft of its weird history
1: so does it does javascript need to it so th- this is where i want to take this just and credit to the pika team i think this is actually a great tool i will probably try this yeah,
0: out. i'm actually i'm definitely going to try it too
1: because i hate when i import old libraries and i get trapped into nightmare land as i call call it maybe the answer isn't that javascript the language escapes maybe it's that WebAssembly just wins and i know dhh and we covered it a few weeks ago doesn't like this idea but you know what, Wes? If you like to write in Swift, which I I know the, or Ruby, I know you're a profess Ruby lover today. Mm-mm. And I like to write in uh, Objective C. <laughs> maybe not Objective C. Nobody loves Objective C anymore, except for me. But let's say Ruby.
0: Oh, I mean, maybe. Well. What about your dream? What if you could write in C Sharp?
1: Oh, my dream. That's or F Sharp. Even if I wrote Oh, it yeah. Cool. And we just comp- both compiled to WebAssembly. It seems that you could pull in my little library as a binary, right? Just pull it in as a statically compiled WebAssembly library. and Or I could pull in yours, and we're happy. And everybody gets to work in the tool chain that they are most comfortable with. right? If you're a Windows guy and you want to work in C Sharp, God bless you. Just compile to WebAssembly. I mean, we talked about Project Uno that does this. Uh, Avalonia does this uh, in terms of re-implementing XAML and the .NET UWP stack, into WebAssembly for web development. Maybe my whole point, which I realize I'm meandering, my whole point is maybe it's less, is JavaScript going to evolve out of its legacy? Because we're talking, we're we're back in the 90s here, so I kind of don't think it's gonna happen. Maybe the answer is that you code the way you wanna code, and we just target WebAssembly. So if you're a .NET shop, you code in C-sharp and F-sharp. If you're a Ruby shop, you code in Ruby and horrible CoffeeScript. And we all end up in WebAssembly on the front end.
0: I mean, that doesn't seem unreasonable to me, just because it's kind of what we're doing now, right? I mean, we've just done that. With it seems JavaScript is like what's
1: starting to happen,
0: yeah. Um, it's just that we've been limited somewhat by the types of languages that could run with any sort of advantage being transpiled to JavaScript. Whereas WebAssembly, we we're rethinking that a little bit and saying, well, I but we're have not transpiling some... anymore. Right.
1: That's that's the big
0: difference. Well, but I mean, sure, we, we're just compiling in one sense, right? We're we're just changing from right. running as JavaScripts to Having a different execution engine, notably I mean, so, so, one so, so, without a without a GC.
1: Right. So this is how this is the big thing about WebAssembly, though. Right. If you're an optimist like me, you believe that WebAssembly is basically going to become, you know, for all intents and purposes, real assembly. It's like whether you compile C plus plus or Objective C into assembly and in native code, you're good to go. Right now, I know that's not technically true. I think I think that's in fact on the show we could do. I could do a better job of putting it in the show notes. That we should be covering not, you know, what what API changed in JavaScript, but how close is WebAssembly and how differently the different browser and engines support it. That it's coming to that ideal. Again, this is opinion, right? What I believe is the ideal of it effectively, if not in actual practice, being literal native assembly.
0: But so does that not bring back some problems? Like, at least when we're all doing JavaScript, well, there's some... It's ActiveX, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So there's that. There's the, like, oh, gosh, now it's it's even more obscured binary things running from some stranger on the internet. But it also makes me think, like, at least when you're running this JavaScript, the base is JavaScript, and that's a pretty high base, which is obviously bad for many things, right? That's why we don't have... You can do all these cool, exciting stuff with game engines in the browser and in and, and WebAssembly. But it means like sharing data. You don't have to like make up weird binary calling conventions or, or go through all of that, right? In the WebAssembly world, you could have things that maybe can't interop or interop is harder because you have some crazy yeah. functional high-level thing trying to interact with something from the totally have different that. world. Yeah. Do we want but that sure, again? We already have because right mean, now, like so- you said, I could pull in your JavaScript thing, and even if it's super weird, since it is using JavaScript data structures at the end of the day, I can use them.
1: Right, it'll just make your code maybe be non standard for your style in terms of right. the. Right, the whole problem with JavaScript is, you know, I, I don't remember what year this was, and I, I know you know this book, so I'm sure we've, we've both read it JavaScript, the good parts versus JavaScript, yes, right? right? One was real small, one was real big. And <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's the problem. Um, but I mean, to your point about higher languages and lower languages and different paradigms, I mean I literally call rust from ruby now. I I call C++ and C from ruby all the time. Um, you know people are doing that same thing in Python, that same thing in name Java, right? Like certain lot yeah. of people No, I mean
0: it's useful, it's it's needed, but it's kind of always a pain. Yeah,
1: but FFI exists, and I know we're going deep into the nerdy stuff here, but like foreign function interface. Exactly. Why can't there be an FFI for WebAssembly?
0: And I, I believe there already are. Uh, you know, oh, people, is there really? People, See, I didn't even know. Yeah, people, okay. are, people are working on this. Uh, so it's certainly going to be a solved problem. It just makes me think like we are, it's not a bad thing. It's just questions to ask as we go down this road of further well, okay. reinventing so, so, the whole world in the web browser.
1: So I think the scarier part is, what if one browser vendor ends up being able to take control of this?
0: Yes, right. And we've already seen that That's, happen in spaces right. like particularly with Chrome.
1: Right, I basically code to um well actually I say I code to WebKit, I really code to Firefox, which is not WebKit. But Ooh. most of yeah, I know I, I actually are, think that most of <laughs> I love it. You know what? I think Mozilla's resist from the, on the inside. In Resistance is futile, but I'm I'm going down hard like uh, like my good friend Jean Luc. Nothing bad happened to Jean Luke, right? No, no, never. No. The cutest, nothing? Okay.
0: I think I think he uh, learned a lot from that experience. I,
1: you know what? I, I know I'm sure he did <laughs> maybe not things you want to learn uh, but but I, I do worry about the chrome what's the right word like hegemony right the, I, let's put our old man hats on list do you remember mine's everyone? On, don't worry okay it's always on getting specs that say must run target platform ie6 oh yes
0: why are you reminding yeah. me of this
1: well, I I know, and then I might start to cry, so we're going to do this real fast. I'm getting the same things for Chrome now.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so part I of that a, is you just don't move, yeah. and it's nice to have one supported platform from the end user's perspective anyway. Yeah, I think everybody shoots Firefox and
1: DuckDuckGo, to be honest with you, but that's a whole different argument.
0: Right, So, so to bring it back a little bit, your worry is that, chrome in particular but but any browser steps away from it and becomes you have enough non-standard features however it goes down that they become the runtime and it's not a glorious WebAssembly assembly future where it really is portable and you can run wherever instead it's uh just right. this one platform
1: so my whole dream of WebAssembly is the lie that i was told in the 90s about java being right runs run everywhere might actually now be true
0: yeah. Or it has the
1: potential to become true within let's say the next five to ten years.
0: Yeah, and we've already seen tools to like write little WebAssembly things to run on the command line. So
1: Yeah. It's exactly. Here. Wow, people really don't like it when you mention IE. Yay, chat room. So that's all I've got, Wes. That that was my that was my Mozilla sermon for the day.
0: Huh. No, I like it. I mean as as a fellow frequent Firefox user. I'm glad they're staying relevant. Actually, they've got some of the best write-ups on WebAssembly, I think, out of anyone out there. And they've done a lot of good work, right? Um, they've the they done ASM.js stuff for a long time. Oh, sure, yeah. To have their hands deep in the Rust? Stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, in fact, they wrote. we didn't cover it today, but uh, you shared in our Slack uh, Mozilla's article about writing browser components in Rust. Um,
0: that is the underlying theme. That- we haven't mentioned it, right? The other part, too, is I saw an interesting case study for Rust of um, the NPM people rewriting parts of it in Rust, using FFI to make NPM faster, where JavaScript was too slow. You know what?
1: I am a Rust convert. I have been quietly the last few weeks, uh, whatever I mentioned the first time, it's probably been over a month now, doing really annoying, functional data-y things in Rust. And it has made my life uh, better.
0: Okay, we're going to have to talk about that in an upcoming episode because now that we're just wrapping up for the day, you've piqued my interest. Uh, functional, rust, data, what's happening, Mike? And why Why didn't you tell me this at the top of the show?
1: Yeah, well, because we're going to do a rust show, if not next week, then the following week. We have to wait for Chris to be here so we can all hear him snoring.
0: I think I'll take snoring over burping. In any case, let's get out of here and start working on next week's episode. Let's plan it. Thank you all for joining us. If you'd like more Coder Radio, just go to Coder.show. Or check out all the other fine Jupiter Broadcasting programs at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We've got some pretty exciting study groups coming up, so if you want to learn more about Kubernetes or Ansible, and I think you might, go to Jupiter Broadcasting's meetup page, meetup.com slash Jupiterbroadcasting. You'll also find all the local events and conferences that we're going to go to, and there might just be one near you. You can also find us on Twitter. The whole network is at Jupiter Signal. I'm at Wes Payne, and Mike's at Dumanuko. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.